This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. Welcome back to the Relic Radio Show, one hour of radio drama, which you can find every Tuesday at RelicRadio.com. Our hour starts off this week with Frank Sinatra as Rocky Fortune. We'll hear Companion to a Chimp from December 15, 1953. After that, it's Mystery House and the Composite Killer. That episode aired May 5th, 1946. Frank Sinatra, transcribed as Rocky Fortune. NBC presents Frank Sinatra, starring as that footloose and fancy-free young gentleman, Rocky Fortune. Hi. Ever have somebody try to make a monkey out of you? I did. Not that I minded so much until I found out that it was a dead monkey. Talent Unlimited. Sorry, Mr. Bunsen's tied up. Thank you. Uh, pardon me. Yes? I'm looking for a Mr. Martin Bunsen. Mm, what is it, please? Well, the employment agency sent me over. My name's Fortune. Rocky Fortune. Oh, you're the fellow for the paid companion job. Yeah. You wouldn't be the party that's looking for a companion, would you, honey? Not at the moment, Mr. Fortune. Go right in. Thanks. Keep your switchboard open. I'll be back. I elbow my way into Marty Brunson's office, which is a cheap, smoke-filled bin with furnishings by the Collier Brothers. Behind a stack of papers with a telephone on each ear is Marty Brunson, a sharp-looking, dark-haired character, combination publicity man, talent agent, promoter, and tout. On a leather sofa sits a long-legged blonde, about six feet tall. Takes a few seconds for me to cover all that ground, even with my 20-20 vision. But it's time well spent. Secretary said I could come in. Sit down. Marty will be through in a minute. Thanks. What? Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, Harry, it's a deal. Hang on a second. Uh, Hey, come in. Sit down. Hey, you're looking great. Hold on, Harry. Mindy Lane, this is Mr. Uh... Fortune, Rocky Fortune. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Uh, excuse me a second. Harry, now listen, about the publicity on the guy from Mars picture, I'm working on the Chamber of Commerce for a full-dress Martian day in Central Park. We stage an invasion with midgets, see? Maybe we can get Orson to MC. Uh-uh. uh Okay, Harry, if the price is right, you go ahead with that other matter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so long. Well, you're looking great, Fortune. Put on a little weight, huh? Now, let me see. You're here about... uh... A job. A what? A job. Yeah, well, it's been nice meeting you. Keep in touch with the office, huh? First thing it breaks, I give you my solemn pledge... I'm not a performer, Mr. Bunsen. The employment agency sent me. Oh, oh, that job. Well, why didn't you say so? What do you think, Mindy? He's cute. You got eyes. (laughs) Okay, Fortune, you're hired. Sixty a week, less ten percent to me for getting you the job. Uh Uh-huh. Who's my employer? Me. Take it or leave it. I'd like to leave it, but I'll take it. Okay, report to the television studio tonight at 6.30. What studio? Well, Miss Lane's, of course. Oh, I get it. You're the Mindy Lane who's got the TV show every night. Star of TV, video, and television. Do you ever watch the show? Well, my set ain't working. In fact, I don't have a set. Now, be on time. You mind if I ask you what my job is? Didn't the agency explain you're a paid companion? To Miss Lane? To the senator. Which one? Oh, this boy's pretty square. He's almost accused. He hasn't seen the show, Marty. Just a minute. I'll get the senator. Uh, Where is he? He's asleep in the closet. Oh, excuse me. Senator? Hey, Godfrey, come on out. Now, Mr. Fortune, this is Senator G. Godfrey Jiggs. Senator, meet Rocky Fortune. (laughs) 
Senator G. Godfrey Jiggs turns out to be the biggest chimpanzee I ever saw in my life. Suddenly, I remember that this oversized anthropoid is the star of Mindy Lane's daily TV show, and I have signed on as his valet. Godfrey removes his miniature Hamburg and comes over to me for a quick sniff. Before I know it, he's greeting me like a long-lost relative. All right, down, son. Here, down. Oh, oh. Don't fight him, Rocky. He likes you. Easy, boy. Here, stop Come that here, Godfrey. Come on. That's a good fella. Oh, it'd be sweet. Yeah, if you like apes. What do I have to do for this character? Just pick him up at Mindy's apartment every night and make sure he gets to the studio on time. Then you take him home. It's only a couple hours' work a night. Where do I start? Right now. Here's his collar and his leash. Take him up to Miss Lane's apartment on Fifth Avenue. Here's the address. She'll meet you there in half an hour. Will he come with me? Oh, he's very affectionate. He likes you. Oh, sure. Okay. Oh, and uh, Fortune. Yeah. Be careful with him. He's worth about a half a million dollars. Oops. I leash the chimp, and we make it down to the sidewalk where I flag a hack. There is something definitely crazy about this job, but the hours are good and the pay is okay, so who am I to complain? Why two? 45 Fifth Avenue. Now sit back, Godfrey. Hey, uh, who's your friend? TV actor. Hey, that's the monkey I seen on Mindy Lane's program, ain't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, what do you know? Are you his trainer? I'm his father. Now, how about watching the road for a change? Look, you turn on your job, I'll turn on mine. The hack drops me off at Mindy's apartment and the doorman shows me which way to go. I get the key in the door and open it. Mindy's got guests and they ain't very polite. Okay, shut the door. Sure, anything you say. Would you mind taking a howitzer out of my spine? Back against the wall. All right, okay. Lily. Yeah? Take care of him. Okay, Harry. Now, just breathe deep, honey. This ain't gonna hurt one bit. Not the guy, idiot. The monkey. Oh. Say, can I put my hands down? I'm getting a little tired. He's tired. You're tired? Yeah. Okay. Take a rest. Harry drops the barrel of his cannon across my head bone, and I spend the next 20 minutes pounding my ear on the broad one. When I come to, there's a sweetest smell in the room, like a hospital. And through the haze, I can make out the puss of my very good friend, Hamilton J. Finger, sergeant of the gendarmerie. Take it easy, Fortune. Take it easy. Oh, they forgot to lower the gates. What gates? At the railroad cross. What hit me, a local or an express? You were sapped. Where's Godfrey? Godfrey? The monkey. The monkey? Wait a minute now. I'm beginning to remember. I walk in as a mug with a forty-five and a tough-looking babe. They clout me, and that's all I remember. Marty. What? Look on my dresser. It's a note. Here, let's have a look at that. Here, Oscar. If you want the chimp, it'll cost you five grand. Don't call us. We'll call you. Hey, looks like the ape has had the snatch put on him. What do you know? Did you get a good look at the guy who slugged your fortune? The guy was about eight feet high with hands like mauls. The woman was a little on the tired side, if you know what I mean. A lot of uh, mileage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll send out an alarm. Well, you've got to get him back, officer. He's the star of my program. We'll do our best, lady. Hey, you know, something just occurred to me. Yeah? How did those people get in here? Miss Lane had a new lock put on that door only yesterday. Who has the key? Just Miss Lane and, uh, Mr. Fortune here. Just a second, Uncle. Back up. Whoa. Well, it is peculiar, you must admit. Hey, what about that, Rock? Sure. I arranged the whole thing. I snatched the ape, and then with a quick twist of the wrist, I slugged myself in the back of the head. And while I was unconscious... Okay, you... okay. Knock off. Oh, it could be an inside job. Mr. Fortune here might have arranged with the crook. You want to get belted? I'll listen. Now, hold problem. it. Hold it. Shut up. The boat is. I'll send out an alarm. Meanwhile, nobody leave town. You understand? Before you go, I'd like to say a word to Mr. Fortune. This will be clever. You're fired. Thanks. I stagger back to my flat and fall into the sack with the radio playing soft music. Just as I'm starting to dream about Mindy Lane, something brings me out of the cloud. And now for five minutes of news. Well, every TV set in the nation will be focused on Mindy Lane's cocktail hour tonight when the glamorous mistress of ceremonies makes a nationwide appeal to the kidnappers of her co-star, Senator G. Godfrey Jakes, to return the simian snatch victim to Mama. What could have been a disaster for the show has been turned into a terrific publicity stunt by ace tub thumper Marty Bunsen. Says Mr. Bunsen, quote, 
the evil scar-faced man and the strange woman who overpowered her keeper and kidnapped G. Godfrey Jiggs will be brought to justice. Miss Lane appeals to them to treat the animal decently. He must be fed only special foods, and he will not eat from the hands of someone he doesn't like. We appeal in the name of... Keeper, he called me. I shut off the radio, and it suddenly dawns on me that my former employer, Mr. Bunsen, was talking to a guy named Harry when I first walked into his office. And a guy named Harry slugged me in Mindy Lane's apartment. Also, Mr. Bunsen is making too much hay out of this monkey snatch. I decide to pay him a visit in his apartment. The phone book is a name in bold face type, an inch high. Well, what do you want? You owe me half a day's pay. Not counting the time I spend on my face in Mindy Lane's apartment. Come to my office tomorrow. I need the cash. How dare you barge in here? Get the dough, pal. I'll wait. Now, let's get the dough, buddy. All right. Stay here. Sure, I got all night. When he goes into the back of the apartment, I take a quick look around. The living room shows nothing, and I decide to follow Mr. Bunsen into the bedroom at the rear of the setup. I tiptoe along the hall and manage a quick peek through the keyhole. What I see is enough to make me open the door in a hurry. Now get out of here. Well, well. You miserable sneak. If I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, what a tender thing. What do you want, Fortune? I want to know how come you got Lane's pet monkey sleeping in your bed like he was a crown prince. Well, it's it's all a publicity stunt. Uh Uh-huh. I cooked the whole thing up with Mindy. You know, chimp gets kidnapped, TV star desolate. Uh Uh-huh. Look, I'll pay you well. I'll give you a hundred dollars. I got a lump in my head where Harry dropped the hardware. All right, a hundred and fifty. You know something, Marty? It just occurred to me that maybe this is a publicity stunt. And then again, maybe Mindy Lane isn't even in on it. What do you mean? I don't think you're above clipping your own client for five grand. Oh, now, don't be ridiculous. Suppose we phone the little girl right now and find out. All right, all right. She needn't phone. She's on her way up now. Swell. I'll wait. There. That must be Mindy now. wonder what kept her. You get it. I'll stay here and keep an eye on the answer point. Marty Bunsen goes to the other end of the apartment to answer the door, and I wait inside the bedroom. I hear the door open, but nobody comes in. I wait a couple of minutes longer and decide to take a look. I exit from the bedroom just in time to get it again. Same spot. Snap out of it. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh. Come on, come on. On your feet. Yeah. Did you get the license number? Yeah, uh, very funny. Whew. You know, the top of my head is beginning to feel like the Anzio Beach at H plus one. Suppose you got a good alibi cooked up this time? Same as before. I reached around and hit myself with a crooked sledgehammer. Hey, the monkey's gone. Uh-huh. Bunsen did it. He waited behind the door and socked me. He's the one snatched the ape for the show, Sarge. Now, that's almost as good as your alibi, Rock, only it won't wash. Why not? Because Marty Bunsen is laying on his back in the living room with a knife in his throat. I am in trouble. Marty Bunsen is spread out in the living room like an hors d'oeuvre with a toothpick in the middle, and my friend Sergeant Finger thinks I had something to do with it. I try to explain about my visit, but the sergeant can't see it my way. It's no use, Rocky. That story is full of holes. So is your head. I'm telling you, it was a publicity gag. He was expecting Mindy Lane just before he got killed, and the buzzer rang. Rocky, and I... you know, let's go down to the clubhouse and talk this over with the lights on, huh? Sergeant, you ain't going to pin this on me. I didn't do it. Maybe I ain't going to pin it on you, Rock. But it won't be because I didn't try. Now, come on. Okay. But before you go... Yeah? You're leading with your chin. <laughs> I'll see you later. I figure I'm cooked anyway. I may as well try to catch the killer before they have me served. Next stop is Mindy Lane's Mink Line Cave on Park Avenue. What's Rocky? Mind if I come in? Oh, I don't seem to have any choice. Well, what brings you? Is there any news about Godfrey? As a matter of fact, there is. Have they found the kidnappers? Sit down, baby. This may come as a shock to you. Well, he isn't dead, is he? Who? Godfrey. No, Godfrey's all right, but his man Bunsen ain't doing very well. Marty? Why, what's wrong? Mindy. Yes? Now, cut out the baloney, baby. What do you mean? 
I mean that you know as well as I do that Marty Bunsen is dead because you left him with a knife in his throat. No, no, I did You did go to see him about an hour ago. Well, I... Come on, honey, I was in the other room. Well, then, then you must have killed him. Don't be silly. I was in Never Never Land. Whoever stabbed Marty also conked me. That wouldn't be you, would it? No, honest. Let's have your version. You did go to his apartment, right? Yes, I, I did go to Marty's apartment. The door was unlocked. When he didn't answer, I walked in. I saw him lying on the floor, and I got panicky and ran. Marty and I cooked up this whole monkey business as a publicity deal. Now, how could I explain that to the police? Who do you think killed him? I don't know. Mindy, honey, one of us is in trouble, and as much as I like you, I'd rather it was you. But I swear I didn't do it. I... Who can that be? Let's answer it and find out. Hello? If you want the monkey back, the price is now 15000 You got three days to raise the dough. We'll call you again. I must have a lot of dimes. Who was it? The party who killed Marty Bunsen slugged me and stole the monkey. What? Now all we got to do is find him before he finds us. Maybe we better call the police? Oh, sure, sure. Look, you stick right here. They'll call back with instructions. Well, where are you going? I don't know, but... Hey, wait a minute. Mindy, when you and Marty Bunsen cook up this publicity gag, you hired a couple of hoods to do the snatch, right? Well, Marty hired them, not me. You know who they were? I'm afraid not. There was a big guy named Harry and a woman named Lily. Marty ever mention them to you? Harry? No, the only Harry he ever mentioned is a... He's a television actor, Harry Peterson. Mar- Marty represents him. Harry Peterson. What kind of parts does he play? Mm, mostly menaces and heavies. Well, that's an awful long shot, but maybe it's worth a try. What is? It just occurred to me that Marty might have hired an actor to snatch the monkey. And that the snatch might have given the actor some ideas. Like what? Like going into business for himself. I'll see you later, baby. <laughs> make a fast call to the talent registry and find out that I can reach Harry Peterson at his flat in Greenwich Village. I subway down and find a number. It's after midnight and the house is a five-story movie set from a Humphrey Bogart picture. The mailbox says fifth floor and I start up. Yes? Remember me? Oh. Mind if I come in? Thanks. Shut the door. Where's the ham? Ham? Harry, the menace. He's out walking the baby. At ten minutes past midnight? The baby couldn't sleep. Sometimes fresh air helps. Uh-huh. Now, wait. Uh, look, Mr... Fortune. What we did wasn't very nice, but we needed the money. Nice? Lady, I've been sapped until my hair hurts. Well, Harry hasn't been working much, and when Marty Bunsen offered him $100 to stage that monkey business, he took it. He overacts, doesn't he? Look at his lump in my head. Well, he got scared you'd yell for the police. That doesn't explain why he stuck a knife in Marty Bunsen and took the chimp away again. What? You heard me good. Mr. Fortune, you're mistaken. We left the monkey with Marty. Why, I didn't even know he was hurt. Not hurt, lady. Dead. Oh, I swear we don't know anything about that, Mr. Fortune. I give you my word. I don't know if you're acting or not, honey. But I'll buy your story until the morning. You're going? For the moment. Give my regards to Barrymore. Tell him I owe him a knock on the head. This chick is no Eleanor Adusa, and I can see through a phony act like a cellophane bag. I make like I'm leaving the premises, but I turn up my collar and dip into a dark alley to wait for Harry Boy. After a couple of minutes, he comes wheeling along with the baby carriage in front of him, and I don't need a crystal ball to guess what's inside. Hey, Jackson. Uh-huh. Hold it a minute, will you? What do you want in there? In case you ever want to rock your baby to sleep. Here's a rock. Oh. Hairbreath Harry drops like a pole ox, and two minutes later, I'm making like Hamiltonian down the avenue toward Washington Square with a baby carriage hitched behind me. After a couple of minutes, I pull up lame and flop down on a bench in the park with some oxygen. The monkey's fast asleep in the carriage. Drugged, I figure. Oh, boy, let's take five. Uh Uh-oh. Say, mister, do you mind if I sit down? Oh, sure, help yourself, Sal. Ooh, you got got a bromo? Never touch it. Oh, baby, yours? I'm minding it for a friend of mine. Well, 
Oh, congratulations. Thanks. Hey, do you mind if I take a look? Easy, Dad. Oh, that's a nice little, little bitty. Steady, boy. Pardon me. Hey, Pop, you forgot your bottle of tiger sweat. Keep it. I think I've had enough. <laughs> you can chalk one up for the temperance league. Come on, Junior, we better get out of here before Harry the horse shows up. Woke up, huh? Let's go, kid. Hold it, Fortune. Well, speak of the devil. Get him up. Anything you say. Let's walk. Any place in particular? Home, James. And one peep and I'll ventilate your spine. You're driving. Move. You can't get away with it, Harry. Even if you get the 15 grand for the monkey, they'll catch you for Marty Benson's murder sooner or later. Not me, Jack. You. I don't dig it. You're going to be found on your face with a handkerchief that wiped the knife in your pocket. It still has Marty's blood on it. That ought to be very convincing. Keep walking. My feet hurt. In a couple of minutes, you can get off of them. For good. I never figured myself for a guy who'll die pushing a baby carriage with a monkey in it, but here I am. I slogged down the avenue with Harry's forty-five, caressing my sacroiliac, trying to figure a way out. The street's deserted. We reached the alleyway alongside the house. Okay, punk. Leave the baby carriage here. Okay. Turn around. All right, all right. Walk down the alley. You won't feel a thing. I'll give it to you on the fifth step. Move. My legs won't work. Walk. Another step. Three more steps. Giant steps or baby steps? Go on. Look, couldn't we talk this over? Okay, punk. That's far enough. So long. Oh, oh, my arm, you killed me. I'm bleeding. You'll be bleeding worse if you try to get away. Okay, are you all right? Let me get out in the light and I'll check for the leaks. Phew. For a minute, I was afraid of... Lady, I've been afraid for 30 years, but this tops it all. What brought you? The lady here called the cops. We traced you to Peterson's apartment and his wife broke down and talked. I figured we'd lay for Peterson downstairs. You know he killed Marty Bunsen so he could get the monkey? Yeah, his missus spilled the whole thing. If you two are okay, I'll take this boiled ham down to headquarters. Let's go, Harry. Rocky. Uh-huh. Where's Godfrey? Probably stopped in the baby carriage. I think they drugged him. The carriage is empty. What? Let me look. Holy smokes, a chip was in there a minute ago. Where could he be? Well, here comes a man. Let's ask him if he's seen Godfrey. Okay. Hey, Mac. You was the dresser, man. Oh, we're not going to get any place. Hey, you're the fellow of my baby. That's right, Dad. Uh, I got news for you. What's that, Dad? If you're looking for your little boy, he's up there hanging from the lamp post. NBC has presented Frank Sinatra as that footloose and fancy-free young gentleman, Rocky Fortune. Others in the cast included Gene Bates, Alice Backus, Jerry Hausner, Herb Vigran, Nestor Piva, Gloria Ann Simpson, and Bonnie Phillips. Tonight's script was written by George Lefferts, Andrew C. Love directed. Eddie King speaking. Now to tell you about next week's adventure, here's Frank Sinatra as Rocky Fortune. Did I ever tell you about the time I got mixed up in the plot to murder Santa Claus? Well, sir, there I was, just hanging my Christmas stocking when the police decided they'd like to hang me. I'll tell you about it next week. Yeah, see you around. when you buy Christmas seals? Well, here's how Christmas seals helped one person. Bruce Malone was as healthy-looking as any man on the block, worked for a contractor, operated one of those air hammers that dig up concrete. One day, Bruce saw a mobile chest X-ray unit in his neighborhood. He stopped in. 
was free, only took a minute. And after all, he bought Christmas seals every year. A week later, he got a call from his doctor. He learned that he had TB, tuberculosis. Because Bruce discovered TB in the beginning when it's easiest to cure, he'll be home from the TB hospital soon. While he's away, Bruce is learning a new trade, less strenuous, to complete his rehabilitation. Christmas seals help to make all of this possible. That's what you buy when you buy Christmas seals. Protection for yourself, your family, your community. So if you haven't answered your Christmas seal letter, won't you do it today? Visit with Fibber McGee and Molly tonight on the NBC Radio Network. Mystery House. Mystery House, that strange publishing firm owned by Dan and Barbara Glenn, where each new novel is acted out by the Mystery House staff before it is accepted for publication. Mystery House. Well, Barbie, I don't know that I understand the title of the story we're trying out for a Mystery House novel this week. You mean the composite killer, Dad? Yeah. Does it refer to several different people who combine forces to commit a murder? No. Haven't you ever seen a composite picture? Well, to be honest with you, I don't know. Oh, of course you have. In the movie magazine. Well, I'm not a movie magazine reader. Detective stories are more in my line. Well, an artist takes maybe Dorothy Lamour's eyes and Alexis Smith's nose and Anne Sheridan's hair and Hetty Lamar's ears and Betty Davis's mouth. Put them all together to make a composite picture of someone who never existed. Well, I see what you mean, Mrs. Glenn. The picture's a fake. Well, not exactly. Every part of it is true to life, but... But uh, put together, it doesn't spell truth. Well, I'm a solid fact man myself. I like authentic information. For example, listen to this. Okay, places, everybody. And uh, set the scene for tonight's story, will you, Tom? The Composite Killer. Tonight's story opens in the office of Captain Hedges, police detective. A slender, aesthetic, if cynical young man sits across the desk from the captain, sizing him up. I suppose you wonder why I asked the Chronicle to send an artist over to headquarters, Maney. Why not to reason why, mon capitaine? Where the Chronicle points its finger, there go I. Well, your paper's yelling at us about not solving the Dorothy Latterman murder. Don't tell me you're sensitive, mon capitaine. I always thought only artists were sensitive. Artists who aren't quite good enough to make the grade and end up by hacking away on a newspaper. They said you were the best man in their art department. They damn with faint praise. They said you have imagination, Maney. A severe criticism. I try to hide it. We're pretty close to solving that murder. Now, I know. The police are working on secret clues and feel that the murderer will be apprehended within the next 24 hours. The Chronicle carried that one day before yesterday. There's nothing secret about our clues. This killer ought to be a cinch to catch. He left so many clues, he might just as well left his calling card. And you're just holding off to make it look like a hard catch? Maney, we've got everything except our man. Now, the Latterman girl was a beauty. She had so many boyfriends, we know we're never going to get to all of them. From what we've learned, she was a gold digger. Hmm. Sounds like a sweet kid. Had a beautiful apartment, fine clothes, good jewelry. She had a string of jobs you could write pages about. None of them requiring any real work. <laughs> I've been looking for that kind of a job for years, Captain Hedges. She was as cold and heartless as any human being could be. She was playing for big game. She finally found it. You mean the letters you uncovered that showed she was going to marry Wilton Morris III? Yeah. Has it ever occurred to you that she might have been in love with the boy in spite of all this money, Mon Capitan? Sure. We found a couple of her girlfriends who said that she told them that Wilton Morris was strictly a dope, but in the right money bracket. I love mystery stories, Captain Hedges, but how does all this concern me? Well, we've narrowed things down, Maney. The logical assumption is that Dorothy Latterman was killed by a disappointed or disgruntled suitor, somebody who couldn't stand to see her marry Wilton Morris III. Well, 
We start with the assumption that the murderer was, uh, well, an attractive-looking person. If he didn't have as much money as Wilton Morris, he had to be attractive to be in the running. Captain, you amaze me. A detective who's a student of human nature. The murderer got into the girl's room from the fire escape through a very narrow window. He had to be thin to make it. Hmm, attractive, thin. Now, we've tested the street-level part of the fire escape, and you'd have to be at least 6'2 to reach it and pull it down. I think I see what you're driving at. Several people saw a man loitering near that fire escape at 1 o'clock the morning of the murder. Couldn't they give you a description? Altogether too much description. We've talked to three people, and they disagree on most points. But their descriptions checked in a couple of respects. The man had a long, thin face. They were all three positive of that. Yes, I know the type. His hair was dark. Well, we can't be sure what color, but dark. Go on. And all three people who saw him were a little frightened at one thing. The way this man stared at them. One o'clock in the morning? <laughs> I don't blame him. Now, I get the idea that he had small, deep-set, sharp eyes. Eyes with a brazen look. Two of the people said that they... <clears throat> pardon me. Said that they might have known more of what he looked like, but his stare got their goats. They looked the other way. He looked them in the eye, and he made them turn their heads the other way. Yeah, the eyes are important. Always. Well, the marks on the girl's throat indicate that he had a stubby hand as hard as iron. She fought like the devil and never had a chance. Well, the fingers don't tell me much. No. Well, to me, hands like that on a tall, slender man indicate a tough, muscular neck, too. Smart boy, mon capitaine. I'd have missed that. While he was strangling her, she clutched at his face. At least, that's the only reason I've been able to figure for the bite on her forearm. Here, here's a print of the marks. Hmm. Small mouth, but big teeth. Right. Now you're catching the spirit. Here are photographs of three suspects. Three men that we've connected with the girl. Any one of them who could answer what little description that we have. Hey, my apologies, mon capitaine. I'd always thought the gendarmerie were rather stupid. You know what I want, then. You want a composite sketch of these three guys, a blend of all three. Right, with enough of each one in it so that when he sees the picture in the paper, he thinks it's close to being him. Mm, could be done, I guess. But it'll be quite a trick. I've talked to your managing editor. They'll start a build-up on the picture in tomorrow's paper. It'll run in three days, if you can have it finished by then. Every day until it runs, the paper will carry a front-page box saying, Coming, an artist's conception of the Dorothy Latterman killer. Created in cooperation with the police department. See what the Latterman murderer looks like. Don't miss it. You think this will do any good, aside from publicity? This was an emotional murder. And I'm going to grate the killer's nerves to the breaking point. With your help, Mimi. It's a deal, mon capitaine. Oh, oh, it's you, honey. I thought... Oh, Jed, you don't need to be so fussy about your old picture, covering it up like that when I came in. I don't care about seeing it anyway. Oh, it's not that, honey. It's... Well, I've had orders from headquarters. Nobody's to see it till it's ready. Going to eat midnight lunch with me tonight, Jed? You haven't asked me. Why, uh, matter of fact, honey, I'm not going out to lunch tonight. I'm working right through on the picture. But it isn't supposed to run till day after tomorrow. Sorry, honey, that's the way it is. This thing's important and... Well, kind of dangerous. Oh, oh, you. Drawing a portrait dangerous. The daring young artist, Jed Maney. <laughs> Go ahead and laugh, but I'm working under orders and I'm going to follow up. Uh, but, Jed, you're really serious about this stunt, aren't you? You're always poking fun at everything we do around the Chronicle. I've got to hurry, honey. If I expect to get this thing done by closing time, oh, I... All right. I won't bother you. I never thought I'd have a picture for a rival. Oh, it's not that, honey. It's just... Oh, nuts. Can't you give a guy a break when he's busy? Well, if that's the way you feel about it... Oh, don't it... be sore. Tomorrow night I'll give you loads of attention. I'll scrape and bow You'll do and... nothing of the kind. Not after the way you've acted the last couple of days. As far as I'm concerned, you'll still be busy. Good night. Oh, just a minute. Uh... Well, why didn't you go ahead and kiss her, Manny? I wouldn't have minded. I never did like an audience, mon capitaine. <laughs> Isn't it pretty stuffy in that clothes closet? Yeah, stifling. I'm dying for a smoke. Why not go ahead and have one, then? No. I'm going to go back into hiding. Sooner or later, the murderer is going to call on you. 
And I'm going to be here when he does. So back to my hole. Well, I think I'll use suspect number three's ears. They're the largest. <clears throat> Who the devil are you? William Morris III. I read about this composite picture thing, and I thought I'd drop in and see how you're getting along. Maybe I could help you. Well, well, well. Wilton Morris III. <laughs> I've always wanted to meet a real live millionaire. And you're so young and tender, too. Isn't it a little late for you? No need of being nasty. I thought maybe I could help you. Dorothy was going to marry me, you know. So they tell me. You mind if I take a quick glance at how you're coming along? Get away from that drawing board, third. What? Really? Don't give me that high hat, either. I've had orders. Nobody's to see this thing till it's finished. But I'm not a suspect, man. Great Scott, I was going to marry the girl. If there's anybody in Kingdom Come wants a murder caught, it's I. Sorry, mister. The publisher of the Chronicles, a good friend of Dad's. I could get permission to look, I imagine. Guess again, Buster. The publisher doesn't have a doggone thing to say about this. Oh, but hang on. I'm just trying to help. I'm from the lower classes, third. Having a millionaire help me would knock my nerves all to pieces. Very well. Have it your way. But if you don't want my advice, what was the idea of calling me? I left a rather charming party to come down here. Calling you? I didn't call you. Your secretary did, though. She said you wanted to see me if it was convenient. I don't have any secretary, Mr. Third. That's a pretty bum stall. Stall? But I'm quite serious, Mamie. Oh, I get it. You got me down here to get a good look at me. You're going to try to work some of my characteristics into your picture. Well, there are libel laws to cover huh? such... Say, uh, you aren't nervous, are you, Mr. Third? Nervous? <laughs> Why should I be? I simply dislike the idea of notoriety. And if that picture bears the slightest resemblance You're to... You're scaring me... me half to death. But if you're all through, I wish you'd title back to your party. I'm busy. Very well. But I'd be careful if I were you. Huh. Well, now, what do you think of that, Mon Capitan? Yeah, I'm down. I hear. Oh, he's practically out of the building by now. I'll close the door so he can come on out and stretch. Oh. Oh, you again. You don't need to act so disappointed. Wasn't that Wilton Morris who just left? The third. Well, that's odd. My phone rang a few minutes ago, and a girl asked if he was here. I thought it was some crank, but she must have known. A girl? Look, honey, would you recognize her voice if you heard it again? Maybe. Why? The guy claimed somebody called and asked him to come in here. My secretary. But you don't have any secretary. Hey, hey just a minute. Hello. Looking for someone? Why, yes. Is Wilton Morris here? Uh, come on in. Thank you. Oh, but I thought... Why, he isn't here. Why didn't you tell me that... I didn't say he was here, darling. I just asked you to come in. <coughs> See here, what is this? The idea of closing that door. I don't intend... I don't know what you intend. But you're going to answer a few questions. What? Oh, really? This is... Why, I never heard of such a thing. Excuse me. Just a minute. You're not leaving here till you've answered a few questions. Who are you, anyway? Well, I don't see that it's any business of yours. But my name is Harriet Cardley. Just no. a second. I haven't been a society reporter around here for two years for nothing. Oh, you're Honey Hawes. You covered my debut for the Chronicle. Yeah. And I also remember that you had yourself a man-sized crush on Wilton Morris III about that time. Really, Miss Hawes? If you... You don't deny it, do you? I won't dignify it with a denial. I don't suppose you'll bother denying that you called my desk a few minutes ago to see if the boyfriend was here? I called. I like that. I got a telephone call to meet him here. There's something awfully funny about the telephone service around here tonight. If you're insinuating that I'm lying... I know. Papa will talk to the publisher, who's a friend of his, and get us camp. You know, I have a hunch the police may be wrong on this business. What? They're assuming it was a man who killed Dorothy Latterman, a jealous suitor. But a jealous suitor would have lost every chance he had by killing the girl. Wouldn't he have killed Wilton Morris instead? What are you trying to... What I'm to... getting at, sister, is that maybe somebody else has a yen for Wilton III. It kind of makes sense. But you're insinuating that I did... That's ridiculous. I didn't even know the girl. If I were the police, I think I'd want a lot of answers from you. I say, if I were the police... Jed, what are you shouting about? Captain Hedges! Captain Hedges! Captain Hedges. Oh, is he dead? Just a minute. For the love of heaven, stand back. Open the door and the window, quick. What's the matter? Let what? me get this thing out of here. What is it? A time bomb in the closet, loaded with poison gas. Call the police, quick. Oh, but hadn't we better... I'm staying right here with this picture. 
Evidently, someone wants it pretty badly. Poison gas time bomb. Neat idea. Mm-hmm. Quiet, unobtrusive, efficient. The question is, who put it in the clothes closet of Jed Maney's office? Well, we'll find out in the second act of tonight's story. Now, Act Two of The Composite Killer. The time is four o'clock in the morning, and the Chronicle office is pretty much deserted. A light still burns in Jed Maney's little office. The policeman who stayed here, Jed, did he do much? Mm, asked a lot of questions, took the measurements of the clothes closet. Wanted to know who could have seen Captain Hedges come into my office. But how did he get in? I didn't know he was here. His being here was the reason I didn't want to kiss you, remember? I was embarrassed. What? <laughs> you crazy goon. Bashful at this late stage? <laughs> All right, you're forgiven. When you and the charming Harriet left the police station, how was Hedges getting along, did they say? No, but they didn't seem to hold out much hope. They said it was just luck he wasn't dead when we opened the clothes closet. Neither Harriet nor Wilton III went near that clothes closet while they were here. I can't figure out... Almost anybody could have left that time bomb, Jed. You're never here during the day. You never locked your office. But it still doesn't make sense. Well, the police put out a lot of publicity about this picture you're doing. The murderer could have walked in and planted that bomb any time up to six o'clock last night. Yes, but nobody knew Hedges was there. The murderer was probably watching this place like a hawk. Put yourself in his place. All this whoop to do about the killer's picture, Captain Hedges in charge of the investigation... That's easy to figure. I won't rest easy till I get that picture finished and into the hands of the engravers. What, Jed? You don't mean you're going ahead after... after what's happened? Of course I'm going ahead. More important now than ever. What does the picture look like, Jed? Sorry. But it wouldn't hurt to let me see it. I know how to keep a secret. Have I ever let you down? You'll see it in the Chronicle. But I'll just take a quick look. Get away from that drawing board. You heard me. I'm not fooling, honey. Jed, you... You act... You almost frightened me. After what's happened, you should be frightened. I'm not trusting anybody up to and including you. Well, you surely don't think... Somebody's committed a couple of murders, honey. I'm not anxious to be added to the list. I'm sorry to be so rough about it. I'll probably apologize tomorrow night, but for now, that's how it stands. Well, I... All right, Jed. That's the way you feel. Going home? No. I'm going to finish the picture. What the devil's the idea of getting me out of bed to come down here at 4.30 in the morning, Manny? I didn't think you'd be in bed yet, Mr. Third. And you seem so terribly, terribly anxious to see my latest work of art. You see, the picture's finished. But you know, I don't think you're going to like here. Why? Why, uh, wait a minute. What, what? Recognize yourself, Mr. Third? Well, I... It, uh, isn't a picture of me, and, and yet it is. That's right, Mr. Third. It takes a clever artist to make a picture like that. You, and yet not you. But close enough so anybody would recognize you. You think I killed Dorothy Latterman? I know you did, Mr. Third. Indirectly. Oh, no, no. You're on the wrong track, Manny. I didn't kill her. I don't know who did. I... You don't, Mr. Third? Not even now? What? I killed her, Mr. Third. Captain Hedges knew it. He knew it all along. Oh, you're... You're joking. You, you couldn't When possibly... Hedges told me that Dorothy Letterman had held a lot of different jobs and they had pages of dope on all of them, I knew. I wasn't picked to do this picture for my artistic genius. He was playing with me, waiting for me to get excited and make a slip. Well, he was a smart cookie, even if he did underestimate me. 
What do you mean about the jobs? Dorothy was an art model at one stage of her career. She quit because a certain poor artist got too serious, bothered her too much. And you killed her. The only thing in the world that ever interested her was money. She was responsible for my taking this stinking job to try to get enough money to rent a little apartment and get married. And you must have been extremely fond of her to kill her in such a brutal fashion. The funny part of it is, Mr. Third, I didn't intend to kill her. I couldn't believe her story about her engagement to you, and I went up to talk to her. She laughed at me, made fun of me. I went crazy, crazy mad. I wanted to hurt her as much as she was hurting me. I'd say you hurt her more, at least more permanently. Oh, no. But there was real satisfaction in grinding my fingers into that lovely throat. I even bit her arm when she tried to stop me. Yes, but but your name was never mentioned as a suspect. <laughs> I, I took every present she'd ever had for me. Every letter. I erased myself from her apartment. I planted the fire escape business. Oh, I gave the police plenty wrong clues. But some way, Hedges caught on. He didn't have proof, but he knew. Why do you tell me all this? Because I want you to understand what it's all about. Why you're being framed. I? Framed? Oh, you, you think you can convict me of a murder you committed just by drawing a fantastic picture of me? Hardly. You really are mad. The picture's going to take care of you, all right. You are going to be convicted. I'm not much worried. You've been here before tonight. It's established that you came here to look at the picture, and I wouldn't show it to you. Yes, but what does that have to do with it? What, what are you up to? Those telephone calls to you and your Harriet will be checked, of course. Who? A public stenographer made the calls, Mr. Third. She got her instructions over the phone and was told to send the bill to me. I don't know a thing about it. At least that'll be my story, and it'll stick. You think those calls will convict me of a murder I didn't commit? You are batty. Batty like a fox. Being an artist is useful in more ways than one. I know my anatomy pretty well. What? Try to talk sense. I'm talking sense. I put this drawing board over in the corner, see? Very interesting. It'll get more interesting as it goes along. Now, I lay this knife on the board. Just so. The handle presses against the wall, see? What do you think you're going to do? You... Incidentally, that knife is from your cabin up at the lake, and it's loaded with your fingerprint. Now I scooch down. Have to be sure to hit exactly the right spot. You, you... Look out! Oh, it's a good trick, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it takes nerve, plenty of nerve. But when you're fighting for your life, you have nerve to spare. Let's see. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. Now I back into the blade of the knife, firmly... Steadily. Oh, you fool, you'll kill yourself. I can't let you commit suicide. I won't kill myself, Dirt. But it'll be close. Close to the heart and close to the spine. It worked, Dirt. Just like I planned. You're through. You're licked. Where's the telephone? Who you who you calling, sir? A doctor? Doctor or police? Both. Won't do you won't do you any good. Don't you see? Me. Me stabbed in back. Your knife. Your picture on the drawing board. Your picture, the killer. I say you came in, saw a picture, and stabbed me. You're through. But why should you try to do this to me? Why? <laughs> you with nothing but money to offer. You stepped in with your money and tore down all my hope. I hate you. But I thought you were in love with a pretty little society reporter, Honey Hawes. She was, she was just around. I had to cover up some way. That was an act. Honey, honey, he got me. I'm going to die. Hospital, quick. He saw a picture. He stabbed me. Save it, Dick. You'll need your strength. Hospital, quick. Get police. Police to arrest him. You don't seem to realize, Ted. I've heard your entire scheme with Mr. Morris. What? Oh, thank heavens, Miss Hall. After what had happened, Ted, when you insisted on staying and finishing that picture, I, I was frightened to death. Frightened for you. For you, understand that? I was afraid the murderer would come in and try to kill you. You've been here all the time. Yes, because I thought I loved you. I was standing by with a revolver. I wanted to help you. You. Great help. So, uh, Captain Hedges. Yeah. You're getting a little stuffy in that clothes closet. There's nothing more to hear anyway. But you. Poison gas. Hospital. Hey, teach you how to look out for yourself on the force, Maney. I looked that closet over pretty thoroughly. I found a gas time bomb. Oh, no. No, it went off. I, I watched it. When the spring was ready to release, I held a match up to the jet. A lighted match. You. You all the time. Yeah, but I couldn't prove anything. There's a lot of difference between knowing and proving. 
I didn't figure you were strong enough or cool enough to stand up under pressure, so I turned it on. Hadn't we better get him to the hospital, Captain? Yeah, I suppose so. Not that we're doing him any favor. Quite right, mon capitaine. I knew right from the start you were a sharp guy. the relic radio show for this week you can find more from rocky fortune mystery house the relic radio show and all the other podcasts at relicradio.com. you can also donate while you're at the website if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows it's how all of this is made possible there's no advertising so give that donate button a click or visit donate.relicradio.com. we've got some downloadable sets for certain donation amounts so any amount is always appreciated Thank you again to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back again next Tuesday with another episode of the Relic Radio Show.